Yeah, so we are um, today on Palm Sunday and, and quite a relevant um, passage, obviously not the normal um, Palm Sunday passage of Jesus actually entering Jerusalem, but this is where Jesus first starts to talk about heading to Jerusalem in Matthew's Gospel. And, and it's actually where we are at the moment in Matthew's Gospel is really the kind of central point, apart from when Jesus actually goes to the cross, everything's kind of been building to this chapter. And also in this series, uh, the series is called The Servant. And in many ways, this, this passage is really the central message in this, this portion of the series around this idea of Jesus being a servant. And um, so basically where we are, it's kind of like when you're watching a movie. Like if you just read through the whole of the gospel, it, it really is like watching a movie. There's this plot that's going on. And as we've been tracking through Matthew's gospel, there's these things that are happening. People are, who is this man, Jesus? And he's doing all these amazing things, but he doesn't really fit with what we think. And even John the Baptist is a bit confused. And then people are opposing Jesus and some are close to him. And it's all heading somewhere. And, and where what Sam shared last week is, is really this like climactic scene of, of Matthew's been bringing everything to this point where Jesus asks, well, who, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, and on behalf of the disciples, says, you are the Messiah. Um, they, they, they believe that this is who he is, that Jesus is the promised king. Um, and this is this huge revelation from God and this, this climactic moment. And, and as we heard last week, that then Jesus says that he will build his church. He's the one that Israel's been waiting for. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies. He's this deliverer king. And everything's been heading to that point. And, and even the fact that, like Peter, makes that confession is, is profound because it's a profession of being a Messiah is to be a king. And there's other kings around on the throne. So for Jesus to be a king is, is a threatening thing. And, and he, he keeps it quiet still. But there's this recognition that he is the true king, even though it's a dangerous thing to say. Peter's willing to say it. And it's this climactic moment. But like movies come to a climax, there's often also a twist. And straight after, there's this confession, and this recognition of who Jesus is as the king. Jesus starts to share with them his mission. And there's a twist. What he says doesn't really fit, again, with what the disciples are expecting. After recognizing him, then straight away Jesus says, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And like when we read the Gospels, what we want to do is like place ourselves in in the disciples' shoes or try and place yourself there in the scene and just imagine what it would be like hearing this. Like there's on this such a high point of Jesus is the King, the Messiah standing right here in front of us. And then Jesus starts to talk about his plan and then he says, well, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And they're probably thinking, that sounds great. Like let's go to Jerusalem. That's where the action is. And then I'm going to suffer many things. And okay, well, maybe there'll be some suffering involved. Like we're going to overthrow. We might have to suffer a bit and be killed. And they might think, hey, no, like... That doesn't sound like a good plan. <laughs> like, I'm going to go and be killed. <laughs> like, you just imagine the disciples like thinking, no, that, that doesn't sound right. Obviously, he talks about being raised to life, but, but it just, that just does not compute. But Jesus is so strong on it. He's the king, but Jesus the king must 
go to the cross. He says he must. The word is that it's necessary. It's core to his mission. Because yes, he's the king. Yes, he's the Messiah. But he's the suffering servant. This is who he is. But as we'll see, Peter and the other disciples don't really understand this. And, and part of it is um, because it just doesn't actually really fit into their lens and their understanding of what the Messiah of Israel, the king they've been waiting for, is supposed to do. That they're expecting a king who's going to conquer and who's going to deliver and who's going to be strong and who's going to be victorious. And the way that Jesus was speaking last week sounded really strong and sounded really victorious. He's going to build his church, but now he's talking about dying. So it doesn't really fit. Plus, Peter loves Jesus. Every, all the disciples love Jesus. They wouldn't want this to happen to Jesus. So out of love and concern and with his understanding of, of how things are supposed to be, and perhaps Peter with some confidence because he's just been told that he has this revelation of who Jesus is that's come from the Father. Maybe he's feeling really good. It says he took him aside, sort of takes Jesus. Hey, Jesus, let's go have a chat. Like, and he began to rebuke him. It really means talk down at him. Like, he takes Jesus. He says, never, Lord. No, 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 Jesus. Like, like that's not what's going to happen. He says, that, that will never happen to you, Jesus. And like, we have to have compassion for, for Peter because he's just heard that Jesus, the promised king, is going to be killed. Like, that makes no sense. For one, second, Peter cares for Jesus. So out of love and out of care and out of protecting, no, Jesus, we won't let that happen to you, Jesus. We, we will make sure that doesn't, maybe even promising to protect him. But as we see in Peter's desire to protect Jesus, he actually ends up opposing Jesus. And even though he probably has good motives, Jesus is incredibly strong with Peter in response. Jesus turned to Peter and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Like, that is such an intense thing for Jesus to say to Peter. Again, Peter's probably just trying to protect Jesus, probably saying, no, 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 that doesn't need to happen. And Jesus' response is, get behind me, Satan. That Peter, in his desire to protect Jesus from the cross, becomes the mouthpiece of Satan, a tool seeking to discourage Jesus from his core mission. And Jesus has already faced these temptations. Like The temptations that he faced back in Matthew 4 after his baptism were temptations to skip the cross. Satan says, just throw yourself off the temple and people will believe in you. Or just worship me and I'll give you the kingdom. Or just turn the rocks into bread. And, and the, the, it's interesting. Like The temptations that Satan gives Jesus are not like... To, to go and do some really bad sin. It's, it's to take his mission, achieve his goal without the cross, to just go high rather than go low. And that's what Jesus already faced that, and he recognizes it. And even though it seems so innocent, Peter's saying, no, Jesus, I don't want you to die, he's actually being the voice of Satan. And Peter, who just before, because he's recognized Jesus as the Christ and has this confession of faith, is called a rock, and people who have that confession of faith are the rocks of the church. Straight after this, when he opposes Jesus, Jesus calls him a stumbling block and says, get back behind me. 
You're in front of me, and I'm stumbling over you. Get behind me. Jesus the King must go to the cross, and to protect him from this is actually to act as his enemy. Peter has good intentions, but he's actually not focused on God's thoughts and God's way. And he also just totally didn't even hear what Jesus said about rising from the dead. Like, he just totally seems to have not really heard or not understood that at all. Uh, but Jesus is committing, committed to following God's will and God's way and God's mission. Whereas Peter has his own ideas, and he's trying to make Jesus fit these ideas. It's actually really interesting because if you remember a few weeks ago, um, Jesus warned the disciples of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which we said is religious leaders who are rejecting Jesus because he doesn't fit their mold. And Jesus says, no, he must be central. He doesn't fit our mold. We have to conform to him. But we see here, Peter is saying, no, Jesus, that doesn't fit my mold of you. And he's trying to get Jesus to conform to him rather than conform to Jesus. So I think for us, there's something in this that, that we are called to embrace and accept Jesus as the one who goes to the cross. And it's hard for us as well, because obviously Jesus goes to the cross. We know that. We've heard it. But, but to really, again, enter that, to imagine being there and hearing that he's going to the cross, he's doing something that makes no human sense. Like, that is, this, this makes no sense in human terms. Because he is not thinking according to what humans would expect, but what God would expect. And perhaps as well, there's ways that God will work in our lives, or the things that, that God does, which are from his perspective make sense, but from human perspective make no sense. And actually the challenge is, well, are we thinking about God's concerns, or are we thinking about human? And if we're stuck on human, at, at times we are in danger of opposing maybe what he's doing in our lives or in other people's lives. Similarly, an anxious desire to protect ourselves or protect others and make life easy and comfortable or successful or constantly be moving up may actually be opposing God and what He's doing. He may be doing things that actually, in our human desires, if we want things to be safe and, and easy and comfortable, actually, that's not the path that He's taking us on. And actually, to, to hold on to that completely and not let go of it could be to miss Him. The question is, are we concerned about God? And obviously, God's ways are different to human ways. Maybe sometimes we're in danger of expecting that God should do what we think. Where again and again in the Bible, He does not do what humans think. He does things differently, and we're called to conform to Him even when it's hard. Are we making Him conform to us, asserting our ideas, or letting go and following His? This is important as we'll see, because Jesus has started talking about the fact that he must go to the cross. But then he turns and says it's not just him, but the disciples also need to follow with the cross. He says, Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to follow, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So intense, right? They've recognized he's the king and then he says, I'm going to the cross. And then he says, and you need to too. <laughs> All right. Like the king is saying this. Like, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus, the king, calls us to follow him in the way of the cross. And 
This is not an, an optional, extra, advanced-level discipleship sort of thing. It's not like, oh, you can follow me, but then if you really want to go the extra, then you can take a cross. Like He says to his disciples who are already following him, he says, if anyone wants to learn from me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, this is what you must do. It involves the cross. This is so important because Jesus is, this, is, this is where Jesus is going. Right? Jesus is going to the cross, and disciples follow their master. So he's saying, this is where I'm going, so if you're going to follow me, this is what you need to expect for yourself as well. And what does this mean for us? Because of, in many ways, Jesus is kind of speaking literally to the disciples. Like, he's literally going to walk into Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. What's going to happen to his followers? Like, if they're going to do that to him, what's going to happen to them? So he's, he's kind of speaking literally, and, and many of them died literally. Um, but what does it mean for us? Because there is a metaphor that here that he's saying as well. This is a quote from a commentator named Wilkins said, The cross for Jesus is for Jesus and those who follow him in discipleship, a metaphor of the Father's will for a disciple's life. It involves the negative, denying self, a person's own will for his or her life, and a positive, taking up the cross, accepting God's will, and following Jesus, putting it into practice. This is the idea of being in submission to God's will, which is good, but it may be different to our will and what we want. And Jesus said a core thing, if you want to learn from him, if you want to follow him, you must give up seeking that things happen your way. You must pick up and embrace the Father's will, even if it's uncomfortable and involves suffering and death, and you must follow Jesus because that's the way that he's going. If he's the one who that was rejected and crucified, the only way to follow him is to recognize that a similar kind of suffering could happen to us. That's what happened to him. And the question he's really saying is, well, if it did, would you be loyal to him? Because even in the face of suffering and death, he remained loyal to the Father. And obviously, obviously prayed, not my will, but yours be done. This doesn't um, mean that we always reject anything that we want. It doesn't, doesn't mean that, especially because after Jesus' resurrection and, the, and the, the coming of the Spirit, we have a new heart, and we often, what we want is God's will. It doesn't mean that just because we want something, we reject it. But it means when there's a tension between God's will and our will, God's will must be first. There will be a denying of self. Jesus called to follow him in the way of, Jesus the King calls us to follow him in the way of the cross, which in many ways means he must have our ultimate allegiance. Again, he's not saying that you have to follow him. He's just saying, whoever is going to follow me, this is what it requires. And it's not, he's not standing back and saying, like, no, I won't let you follow me. He's just saying, you won't be able to learn from me unless you're willing to do this. You won't be able to follow me because this is the way that I'm going. It does not work to follow Jesus on our own terms. It does not work to follow him if it suits. It does not work to follow him until it's too difficult. It actually is that he must be ultimate. And he's simply being honest about that up front. To, to follow me re- requires giving up control, being willing to submit to his will, even if it involves suffering, and it involves actively actually walking behind Jesus. And I think, again, this, this is a good reminder for us, because we may need to think, well, what is our expectation of the Christian life? Like, if we think about it, projecting forward, like, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What, what do we expect 
God should be doing? What do we think it should look like? And I think, sadly, um, we can easily adopt just a Christian version of the successful Western life of, well, you, you get a big church and you get famous and you write books and everybody loves you and you have money and God gives you a good, comfortable life and, and then you die peacefully and, and it's all good. And maybe we can easily start to expect that's Christianity. Like, that's what God should be doing for us. Rather than saying, well, actually, what did Jesus' life look like? Actually, what did Jesus' disciples' life look like? Actually, what did Paul's life look like? Actually, that's probably more what we should expect. If it's not, maybe we're more the exception. What was God's will for Jesus' life? Jesus is the one who left heaven, who was rich and became poor. That was God's will. He was one who was born in danger and in humility, in many ways lived in poverty. He was one who lived simply. He was often homeless. Jesus was single and childless. He was often misunderstood and opposed. And he ultimately was rejected and crucified. That's the one that we follow, right? That's the king of the world. That's who we're learning from. We can so easily, though, just have this picture of Jesus that doesn't have the cross at the center of who he is and expect that we should have this great life. Whereas he's saying, actually, this is his life and we're called to follow him. And again, I, again, I'm speaking to myself, it means then, then when God calls us into things that are difficult or when God calls us to a cross, or when God calls us to persevere through hardship, why, why are we surprised? Like, why are we surprised when it's not all just easy and comfortable and fun all the time, but there's, there's hardship in following Jesus? Why are we surprised that he doesn't just remove all our suffering straight away? Well, why, don't, why, why do we think it's something strange if he calls us into a sacrificial situation where we are called to sacrifice and serve like Jesus does? We're actually called to learn from him and to give up demanding our own way and own rights and actually renounce that and seek God's will, even if it's totally makes no human sense and no matter the cost. So this is obviously pretty intense. It's like... He's the king, he's going to the cross, and he says, if you're going to follow him, you need to embrace that as well. And it's going to get more intense, because you sort of think like, okay, Jesus, well, I, I'm not really interested in that. <laughs> like, like if, if, if that's really what it's going to take, that, that sounds too hard. Like, I think I'm just going to have a good life. I'm just going to make do with what I've got. I'll just sort of have my comfortable life, even maybe a comfortable Christian version of it and just enjoy it, and that'll be all good. But Jesus ups the ante even more. He then says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is intense. He's the king. He's going to the cross. He calls us to follow him, and then he says that's the only place life is found. If you don't do that, you are losing. He actually says to throw away your life and bank it all on Jesus is actually the only good option, is what he's saying. Right? To, to, to fully just trust him with everything, um, because he won't, he's, even though that seems weak, right? he's going to a cross that seems weak, following him with a cross seems weak, he's not weak. 
He's incredibly strong. He's the king, and he says, he's also the judge. He's going to come, and he's going to judge. It says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. He's saying there's going to be a day when he comes in power. But then he says, truly, I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It's not just that they'll see his power then. They'll see his power soon. And this could be the transfiguration, the resurrection, the spirit. There's lots of ways that the kingdom comes in power in the disciples' life. But we see Jesus is, is sort of saying he is the judge. He's a king, but he's a judge, and he's coming. He will rise from the dead. He will return. And then he will reward people based on their life and based on this choice, really, that he's offering. The choice to save your life, to seek your own will, to do things in your own strength, or to submit to him, to trust him, to follow him, and by the Spirit to be able to live a life with God. So in light of this this. this this, this call to follow him. It's not just like, oh, if you want to follow me, yeah, choose to follow me. If you don't, that's okay. And he's saying, no, this is the way to follow me, and this is the way to life, and there's going to be a judgment. Jesus, the king, is the judge who is coming, and he offers us the ultimate choice of eternal significance. There's actually only two options, according to Jesus. It's really simple. And it's also really simple that both options involve losing. It's, it's which way would you like to lose, effectively? It's really honest, right? There's no option of having our will forever. That's just not an option. We can try and then lose, is what he says. And it's a bad, bad choice. Or we can lose now. We can surrender our will. We can throw our life away for Jesus now and gain. And it's a good choice is effectively what he's saying. They're they're the options. Try and gain the world. Try and play it safe. Try and protect. Try and sustain life. Assert our own will. Have all the wealth and possessions possible. And then we stand before the judge, and it's gone. And we lose it. Or lose our life now. Bank it all on Jesus. Take up his cross. Maybe be rejected by the world, but actually find life in that because he's alive and there's life in the midst of death, and find life on that day when he comes. To shrink back from the crucified king, to block our ears to his call to deny self, take up cross, and following him, is actually to reject him, and then to miss him on that final day. And it's so intense what Jesus is saying about the cross, but in many ways, he sort of finishes this by saying, like, don't worry about the cross. Think about the judgment. Like, we might focus too much on like, oh, we just don't want to embrace the cross. It sounds too hard. But Jesus says, no, what matters is not that. What matters is the final day. That's the thing to keep in mind, that he will come back. It's really a call to see Jesus as he is, as the king, but as a king who's crucified, and to follow and to find life in the reality of that. Therefore, what he's calling us to is to not find comfort in life from our self-preservation, from our wealth, from our security, from our own ideas or ability, but simply because he is God and king and he's already walked this path before and he has the victory. There's this great um, line in something called the Heidelberg Confession 
The first question of it is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Is really, that's a picture of what does it look like to actually throw your life away and trust in Jesus completely, that he becomes the hope, he becomes the security, he becomes the confidence. And it's a paradox, because humanly speaking, it makes no sense. Jesus going to the cross, humanly speaking, is a terrible idea. Us denying self and embracing a cross and being willing to suffer and die for Jesus even is a, is a bad idea in human terms, or even for a good life, maybe, what we might think of. But this is basically banking on the fact that God is true. And actually, Jesus is an example of someone who has peace, joy, security, comfort, and hope in the midst of being surrendered to God's will, that God's will is actually good, even if sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. It's actually good to actually throw away your life and to bank it all on Jesus is actually a joyful thing. There's life there. He's saying that's where life is. That's where abundance is. That's where peace is. Because we don't have to live and manage and protect anxiously, but actually get to trust him completely. Because, and basically, again, it's, it's just based on the fact that Jesus is true. Because if he's not true, it's totally ridiculous. But if he is true, if he's the risen king, if he's the judge of all the earth, then anything that he says is the thing that we must do, even if it's going to a cross. He's worth losing it all for. He's worth giving our lives for. He's worth trusting every day and letting go of ourselves for and walking with him. And we see in Scripture people doing this. We see this is how the Apostle Paul lived, lived a life full of suffering but full of joy in Jesus. And he talks about this in Galatians 2.20. He says of himself now, this is how he views himself, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's actually a position of power and strength, even though weakness. He's saying, I'm crucified. Other places he says, I'm weak, but the risen Jesus is at work in him. The risen Jesus is leading him. He actually works, walks by faith. So this is a call, really, to take Jesus seriously as who he is. Yes, the king but a crucified king, and to call to follow this king where he goes to a cross and actually do that, recognizing he's actually the one with the power and the authority who's risen and who will come again. And I guess I'm not much of a preacher. Sam's more of the, the preacher. <laughs> I'm more of a teacher, but I guess trying to convey today, right, that, that this is serious. Like, because we've heard it before, and, and it's so easy to say, yeah, I, kn I know this. We've read this passage before. But it's so interesting. Jesus says this to his disciples, right? To people who think they're, who are following him, but maybe not all of them, or maybe not really in the way that he is actually going. There's an opportunity today to take serious who he is as the crucified king. Take serious his call to deny self, take up our cross, and follow him. Dale Brunner, um, on this, he writes... This, we are in a life or death struggle when talking about discipleship. This is not tea time. We're going to have morning tea in a minute, but I think for now, as we finish the service and as you go about the day, this is an opportunity to really weigh Jesus' words. As I've been studying this this week, it's just so intense what he says. 
but it's because He loves us and because it's the truth. The truth is, in this world, to follow God's will will probably involve suffering because we have a flesh that doesn't want God's will and it needs to die and we need to trust Him. And it's good, even though it may be hard. So we're going to respond, have some time to respond today. And maybe if a band wanted to come up, we're going to sing two songs. One song is really a song of surrender. And I just encourage you to, to sing this again from this posture in response to Jesus' words, that it's His will that is good, and it means we have to let go of ours. And then we're going to sing another song of worship um, as the King who is conquered and who is worthy of actually fully giving our lives to you and throwing everything away for Him. So I just encourage you in these next two songs to really weigh His words, to respond, to consider His invitation to discipleship, which He says is a life and death invitation. And just whatever you need to do to, to respond, we, we, we will stand. But if you need to sit, that's fine. If you need to kneel, that's fine. You, you decide how you need to respond in your heart to Him today. Um, after the service, I'll be up here for, for prayer. If you, you'd like to come for prayer for anything, but let's actually respond to Him and take Him seriously at His word. And then I'm going to come back in a, in a moment and pray as well. But let's, let's stand together. And in response to Him, let's sing this song.